0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. It's the second Western Swing Show. We have Steve Torrance and J.R. Todd. We'll talk Seattle and look forward to Sonoma. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. A winner, a runner-up, and two guys who always have interesting opinions and stories to tell about drag racing. Bobby Bodie's 74 and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left by a day and a half. Both Vance and Heinz bikes are out, and it is crazy town and Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans back. Another episode here of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is uh, our second Western Swing Show as we completed Denver, and now we have completed Seattle, and we'll head to Sonoma this weekend. I came back to the East Coast for about uh, 36 hours to get new clothes and check in and have some dinner and head back out west to what will be a great week in Sonoma, California. You know, it was... Um, I guess we got a ton of stuff to kind of talk about here off the top. I will say JR Todd and Steve Torrance will both be joining us as guests on this episode. Of course, JR Todd, the runner up in Nitro Funny Car, and who has been on a very strong poll over the last, let's call it, half dozen races. And Steve Torrance, the winner in Top Fuel. It was a, a, a team win for them. You know, we talk, we're we going to talk to Steve about it. You know, each round, it seemed as though one end of the team was carrying the other, and that's kind of how this sport is is designed to go sometimes. Sometimes the driver picks up the crew, and sometimes the crew picks up the driver. Ultimately, they both picked up the Wally and Toyota's 200th victory uh, in NHRA competition. So there are other things that happened in the world of drag racing, of course, last week that bear mentioning and, and talking about. We're all still kind of smarting about the idea that uh, Bantamere Speedway is no longer going to be a thing and and that that uh, that particular racetrack may be heading off into the sunset. And certainly that's the way that um, that's the way we all felt as we were at the Mile High Nationals. And then it was just a few days after that that we got uh, really news that was shocking in one way and not shocking in the other, which was Echo Dragway would be closing. Now, the the closing part actually wasn't necessarily the most shocking thing in the world for anybody who lives on the East Coast and understands that the owner of that track has been trying to sell it for years. And they got shot down by the local town uh, authorities a little while back. And so the idea that uh, that this that this track was going to exist in perpetuity uh, was certainly up in the air. We knew, and I say we, if you're you know really kind of a hardcore follower of drag racing, you knew that the track was being shopped around to some degree. The one thing that was shocking was the fact that they ran a race, locked the gate, and said, "Oh, by the way, that's it. We're closed now. Never to be doing anything again." And in the last couple of years, we have uh, been conditioned to the idea. Well, we're finishing out the season, and then that's going to be the end of it. Well, this was—we're uh, not even opening it up, so you can—you know—you can get a, a, a Spirit T-shirt. It's just over, and by 24 hours later, the, the grandstands are on sale uh, online. Online, so it was just—it was a very, very quick turn of events, and certainly one that caught people by surprise. Again, not the overriding. Sale of the track, but the immediacy of, it's sold, gone, shut down, see you later, bye, thanks for coming since, whatever, 1960. Then down in Texas, we get word that I-30 drag strip or uh, Redline Raceway, it's been called multiple things over the years in Cattle Mills, Texas, uh, was also going to go away. And uh, that's a track that has a really kind of interesting, I'm going to say checkered past, but it has been opened opened and closed and opened and closed and opened and closed many many times over the course of uh, over the course of the decades and it um, i think it's a, it's a smaller track that kind of flies under the radar to some degree it's not a track that that garners typically a lot of attention to itself and so it was just another kind of kick um, kick on the side that we didn't need as far as you know drag racing goes with a second facility and then it turns out uh, to be a very tough weekend around the country. There was some, um, there were some, some very serious wrecks that happened. Um, there were some, some folks that um, uh, that unfortunately did not make it through uh, those crashes. There was a, a jet car driver named Al Zakakis, uh, probably the one that many of you may have heard before. You've likely seen Al perform if you're a drag racing fan that has uh, attended. You know, races over the course of decades, uh, his Hot Blade series of dragsters and and jet funny cars. Um, that was that was Al's signature, and the other signature for Al was speed. I mean, Al was not a jet car guy that just showed up to mildly kind of um, chuff his way down the racetrack. Al Zekekas was a guy who was afterburner on. All the time, uh, and he ran big speeds, put on great shows. It was my pleasure to, um, you know, be able to call a lot of his runs over the course of time. He ran all kinds of match races. He ran at national events. He ran all over the place. And unfortunately, uh, he was uh, involved in an accident that he was unable to uh, overcome the effects of. And so, you know, it's a loss for a whole community on, on multiple levels. Um, it was just a, it was a tough week in a lot of different ways. There were some shining lights, though. I can't talk about the negative without talking about the positive. Uh, and of course, we're going to be talking Seattle uh, with our drivers and guests on this show. Uh, it should be mentioned that Virginia Motorsports Park and a trace sanction facility just outside of Richmond had uh, a really big night for themselves. Uh, it had some weirdness at the end. The timing system decided to short out, but uh, other than that... They had what appeared to be a really strong crowd. Scott Palmer was there. Larry Dixon was there. Um, They put on a good show and put people in their grandstands. Uh, Milan Dragway. Some photos are circulating about Milan absolutely packed to the rafters in Michigan for their event last weekend. I saw in a lot of social media posts and photos, racers at different facilities really touting the fact that they were busy, uh, there was good car counts, and that there was good crowds. And it was a very good counterbalance to the news that had, uh, like I said, kind of kicked us in the shins a couple times to see the positivity of full racetracks, of active racetracks. And, you know, it is easy to get down in the weeds and think, oh, man, you know, "I I see a lot of stuff. Oh, this, this, it's everything's doomsday. Everything's doomed. It's like, let's pump the brakes for a second here. You know, the, no, none of these tracks, none of these tracks are closing um, or in the case of, say, Bandamere Speedway, let's call it pausing as they are planning on opening a new facility uh, because that drag racing is failing them. It is uh, an overwhelming to the really every single one of these tracks that has um, gone, the, the, the gone to the wayside over the last several years, it has been because of massive cash offers to buy the property. It has not been because the owners were fed up and they weren't making a living and they weren't, uh, enjoying the sport, but these are ultimately business people. And when you are working a hundred hours a week to make X and somebody rolls up and says, I will hand you a giant pile of money that you can live on the rest of your life and not have to work a hundred hours a week or 10 hours a week or 45 minutes a week. Um, it is difficult on a practical level to fault anybody for making that decision. On a on a emotional level, you could be all bent out of shape about it, of course, because these are the places we love, and they're the places we love because we get to showcase doing the thing we love at them. But ultimately, uh, we do still live in a free country. Uh, we do still live in a country that has uh, a free market system, and if the land is valuable enough to somebody or some company to, to, to throw just a massive truckload of money at somebody... I, I don't necessarily think any of us listening here are going to be of the same, of the different mindset than they've been. And, you know, the one thing we can talk about is, is you know, when and, and again, there's a whole lot of, you know, support your local track and make sure you're at your local track. And that's all true. I would never, ever, ever counter that message because it is absolutely on point. Support your local racetrack. But the one thing I will say is that, there is an element of this that does not come down to a lack of support for the local racetracks. There is an element of it that comes down to an inability for even as many local fans as we all want to be in low and love. You can't sell as enough hot dogs to match what a massive corporation is going to throw at the racetrack. So, you know, to me, it comes down to an owner who is passionate about the sport an owner who is in many ways being supported by his or her community if there is one thing that would make people pause, and 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 I know, you know, listening to the words of John Vandermeer Jr. and the family over the course of the Mile High Nationals, that they took a lot of, um, a lot of time and thought into into what the net effect of this would be on their customers. There is these customers that are friends and effectively family that have been racing with them for years and years, and that's why they're committing themselves to finding a new location and getting a new racetrack set up in the Denver area. It, if only uh, if only all of these scenarios had worked out and continued to work out the same way, it would be great. It's a Pollyanna way to view the world, but it's also one that, you know, beer's talking about. If the owners if the owners feel as though their customers are with them on their side and supporting them, as opposed to grinding them into dust every day on the Internet, it does change somehow or in some ways. I think it does change what the potential long long term outlooks could be. So, that's kind of my rant on that subject. It is um it was a tough week. It was a tough week, but I do believe that when we look at the net, you know, we look we, we're going to look back on this week. Even in a few years we'll look back on this week and think, "Man, it was rough." And it was. And sometimes those negative stories tend to outshine the positive, but when we look at the positives of the tracks that were open and banging, open and full. Seattle, great crowds all weekend long. Awesome event. Great, um, just active participation from all the local cities and towns around there. Those are positives. Virginia being packed, Milan being packed. Just two examples. Um, you know, my Western Swing will take on a fourth week when I go to Boise for the Night Fire Nationals in a couple weeks. That place will be packed up. So, You know, It is easy to stew in the negative. It really is. is, um, I am a realist. I think you've you've all probably gotten that um, idea from listening to this show. I'm not here to tell you something that uh, isn't true. I'm not going to tell you the color of the sky is different than it actually is. But part of being a realist is also being able to manage and look at both sides of a scenario. And yes, there was plenty of bad, plenty of bad last weekend. But I'm never going to not look at also what the positive side is. And there was actually plenty of that, too. So, with that being said, with that done, we're going to have our first guest on when I come back. Our first guest, J.R. Todd, driver of the DHL GR Supra from Coletta Motorsports. We'll be back right after this with J.R. Todd. All right, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Our first guest this week, a finalist two years running in Seattle, Mr. J.R. Todd. How are you doing, man?
1: Good, Brian. Thanks for having me on again.
0: So, it was up. pretty wild weekend all around out there in seattle i mean last year was 900 million degrees track was way hot and it was tough to get down it didn't look a whole lot easier to get down this year than it was last year
1: yeah seattle is uh definitely a tricky place a lot of sunlight on it when that uh when that happens you know it makes for tricky uh track conditions but for whatever reason like the, the track prep it seems like it really holds up well they're going through uh the sun and, and what have you so I mean we unloaded really well there uh, Friday evening and dropped a couple cylinders down track and it should have ran a lot, lot better than what it did but overall you know qualified fifth which is uh, good for us and then just kind of maintained that on, uh, on Sunday
0: You know, you talk about maintaining stuff. If we look back over the last five, six races for this team, we're talking about three semis and now a final in Seattle. And it really does have the feeling that something's come together for you guys. And is that also kind of what it feels like internally as well? Because I can look at numbers all day long and say, okay, the car's running pretty good. But internally, is it that same feeling that you guys are really kind of on the cusp of of actually breaking through here?
1: I think so. I think it's just a matter of uh, Todd and and John just. You know, building on the consistency that we've had uh, the last handful of races. And, you know, we went to a completely new combination over the offseason, going into uh, preseason testing in Gainesville. And, you know, we had a success right out of the gate there in Gainesville. But after that, Todd said, you know, like this combination is going to take a while to figure out. And, you know, then we had the issues that we had after uh, with Pomona and yeah. after that, just kind of set us back a little bit. But I think now it's just they're finally getting a handle on, uh, you know, the, the new combination, just kind of you know, slowly picking away at it.
0: Yeah, and and it certainly seems that way. I mean, it's when we look at even a hot a hot weather race like we just came from, um, where everybody was struggling, especially early on with keeping with keeping cylinders lit. When it came to Sunday, you know that really wasn't much of a problem. You guys dealt with um, uh, from your own perspective. You know when we look at we look at the competition. You know, and we look at kind of where you're sitting right now yeah you're sitting ninth in the points but it's kind of deceptive because you're you're really kind of one good sunday away from being like a number five six car right now and not a bad place to be when we have a few races left before the countdown
1: yeah you know i was talking to a uh, pr guy rob goodman the other day and it's like this is the perfect time to start making momentum you know the the hot races to choose it where we excel and i uh, definitely want to be in that uh you know five to six area going into uh Indy and, uh, and the countdown so now's our time to make a move but you know you also got to have some help along the way with uh the cars in front of you going out early which doesn't happen a lot but, but yeah it's uh it's kind of bittersweet to be in this position right now we kind of dug ourselves in a hole early on this season but uh I have all the confidence in the world that we can dig ourselves out of it we just need to keep going to uh the later rounds and you know winning a race or two before uh, the countdown would not hurt at all
0: no, it absolutely wouldn't, and and you know you look at it really is kind of a real tight log jam in the middle of the points, and and it does like you said, yeah, you need the help or whatever. But the reality of the situation is, if you keep putting together semis and you keep putting together these final round appearances, the stuff the stuff kind of handles itself. And you know from a from a perspective of looking at coming into Sonoma, you know normally Sonoma is the second stop. We ended Seattle. Is this a little bit better for you guys, meaning that coming off a final and then having a race the following week instead of last year you have the final in seattle and then we got to wait a couple weeks to go to brainerd i would assume that it's a better situation to be able to fire the thing right back up again the, the, the following weekend
1: yeah i believe so you definitely like having a good momentum on your side we rolled into seattle off a of semi there and in denver and felt like we let one get away there like i think that we had a car good enough to to win up there on the mountain that's a really tricky place to run and then you know seattle went to the final there last year so i feel like those guys had good notes to go off of, uh, similar conditions, and, yeah, it's nice to be able to kind of ride that wave into uh, Sonoma, where it's going to be warm during the day, and you're going to have to throw it out in there Friday night to uh, get yourself qualified well, but you none know, of that really matters on race days, so... We'll, uh, we'll see how it plays out, and hopefully we we can just keep uh, racking up those round wins and, and gaining points on those guys in
0: front of us. Obviously, you had one of the uh, the grand old men of the category in the final round in Seattle, and Tim Wilkerson, who is um, you know he's having what is one of the best seasons he's had in about a decade right now. He's he's looking pretty good. He is to me one of the most interesting guys because you never quite know what you're going to get <laughs> with him, and and there are days there are days when it's like the guys just got it, uh, got a got the thing on lock, and there are days when it just isn't isn't happening for him. But you know he showed up there, and I know he staged that thing basically with the headers, but he did he did bring it in the final round, that's for sure
1: yeah absolutely he made a uh an outstanding run in the final and ours slowed down for whatever reason kind of blew through the clutch and I messed up on the starting line and uh, the package that Tim put together I mean I it was going to be hard to beat him either way he probably went you know a 396 or 97 which was a, a great run and you know to to back up you know his teammate you know Chad Green went 97 the, the round before against us so you knew that they were capable of going out there and running that in the final which we were Hoping to go up there and run something similar to that, and just like I said, for whatever reason, slow down. But uh, but yeah, it's good for Tim. He's a he's a fan favorite. And I feel like he's a you know well liked throughout the pit area. and, it's uh, it, you hate losing, but uh, it's it's good to see those guys doing well.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, and again, he's he does have a he's got a contingent with him, and and of fans, like you said, because of the fact that he's the kind of one man one man band to a degree. Richard Hartman, a huge part of that team, but you know, so much of that team still goes through Tim. It's uh, it's kind of a one off. You know, I, the fact that we have now seen Coletta put all three cars into the late rounds, multiple races in a row. You know, I mentioned the fact that your team internally has to feel pretty good, your specific team, but man, the whole organization is just looking like is looking like they finally caught their stride here. Yeah,
1: I think everybody was tired of not getting any uh, round of bonus money <laughs> and started to, to step up the program. But, but no, either either way, it's good to see all three cars doing well. And you think, you know, when you get all three of the semis and, and two in the final, like you know, one of us is going to break through and win, but I, if we keep doing what we're doing, a, a win's going to come sooner than later. And it, it would be really nice to uh, double up with either uh, – Dougie or, or Sean, but at the end of the day we just won a trophy that are clear butter scores.
0: Yeah, and, and that was the thing too, and, and we're looking at the semis and then we're looking at how the finals are setting up and it's like this is gonna be perfect. Like these guys have been fighting so hard, it's like not only they're gonna get the first win in a while, they're gonna double up for the first time ever. This is exactly how it's supposed to work, and then it's like, damn it, none of that <laughs> none of that happened
1: yeah that's a that's a classic case of uh don't count your chickens (laughs) before they hatch man like you you get a taste and then somebody like Tim Wilkerson just wipes it right out of your mouth but uh it's it's part I mean drag racing is so hard especially funny car racing you think you got a car that's uh on cruise control and go out there and uh and win the final and somebody steps up and that's what it's all about man it's uh it's a highly competitive class and it makes you uh stay on your game for sure you can't let up against anybody out there these days
0: no you can't and and to me i think it's it's especially as you mentioned this is like a real almost a sneaky kind of defining part of the season because it's one of the few times of the year where we go on one of these back-to-back runs or back-to-back-to-back runs and it would the next time we do it is actually during the countdown so you know you have a very experienced crew but this is kind of a drill for them. And and when you look at the quality of work that gets done and when you're able to put a car into the late rounds, multiple races in a row, into a final round in Seattle, hopefully again in Sonoma, is it as much a drill for the crew as it is for you to kind of have these late days week and week and week so when you get to the countdown, you have that, you know, you really kind of have yourself conditioned for it?
1: Uh, absolutely, because, you know, we've had quite a few new guys since our uh, our championship season i mean there's a couple guys left over from uh, from them but and then when you're not going around early in the year you know they don't get that that feel for uh, you know the tight tv turnaround and you know less than an hour turnaround things like that so yeah it's a it's a good workout for them and we had a lot of adversity there on on sunday away from on the racetrack we barely got the thing started there first round and yeah. i want to thank jim dunn and those guys for waiting on us and then you know, they had their issues, and you you'd never want to race on a single like that, but then we get back to the pit area after one of the rounds and can't get the clutch on the car, got to, you know, cut the, the nuts off the flywheel oh, to get geez. the thing out, and just, it's a, it's tough, especially, like I said, with the live TV, they're really rushing you to get back up there for the next round, so you're swapping motors pretty much every round, and, you know, I was out the track yesterday a little bit, and the guys, they're, uh, you know, working their butt off again, just getting things ready for uh, this weekend, Sonoma, so, they're kind of the, the unsung heroes that don't get a lot of the credit because you know TV obviously doesn't doesn't show everything yeah. that goes on behind behind the scenes and uh, they they bust their butts to just just to try and get a, a trophy and uh, to see some of those 3.9 to 3.8 second lap times come on the board.
0: Well, it was pretty wild because we had a 10:30 a.m. start, which we're gonna have again in Sonoma, and I remember like looking down at my phone or whatever at one point. I'm like. It's like three ten, and there are cars in the staging lanes for the finals. Like it was a bizarrely quick day.
1: Yeah, that's where I was a little confused. You know, we got told that uh, we had to be off the air by four o'clock, and then we're rolling uh, into the final. I'm like, oh man, we got plenty of time. I'm like, nope, you got to be up there by by three fifteen. Which I'll give it to my guys. You know, funny car, you you run after dragster in the semis, and we're uh, I think Ahead the of first or yeah. second second car up there ready to go for the final. Then. You know, then the the, the track sprayer went out there and broke. So that boss uh, a little time to, to catch your breath. But but no, Chris Fortin, our our car chief, he does a great job keeping all the guys in line. And uh, it starts at the top with uh, with Todd and Jono and, and and Chris. They they know they uh, they have a great group of guys and really don't have to uh, you know babysit a whole lot. Just it's it's crazy when. You, that tight turnaround, like you really don't have time for mistakes, especially yeah. with all three cars going into the, into the semis. Like you usually get help from yeah. one of the other cars if they go out early, but no, it's every man for themselves. And you know we had Chad Head and Slugger and whoever else over there trying to get the clutch out of that car that went around. It was. Uh, it was entertaining for sure.
0: What is a, on a normal Sunday for your team, you know, is there kind of a huddle-up meeting in the morning? Is there a huddle-up meeting in the afternoon, kind of depending on on how things work out? Obviously, during the during the course of the race day, like you said, everybody's concentrated on their job. But is there that get-together either Sunday morning or post-race Sunday afternoon with everybody? In terms of in the pit area, not necessarily going out and hanging out. I mean, in the pits, is there is there that type of a team meeting type of situation?
1: Uh, I mean, we definitely had a, a post race gathering uh, after the final yeah. there, just because, like you said, you hate going to the final round and, and losing. It's yeah. uh, it's real bittersweet, but just you know, everybody's real real excited with the way we're running right now, and you know, Todd and John. I just want to tell the guys that they're proud of them and to, to keep after it and. You know, you keep your head down and, and keep digging. That we're going to win one of these things, and you know we have our biggest cheerleader, Reg Kinney, there with us, and he loves giving uh, some uh, motivational talks, which he's, he's really good at. So it's nice to have guys like that on our side that that never get down and just try to keep everybody uh,
0: level-headed more than anything. Yeah, Reg is is a a great guy, and for those of you listening that have no idea who this guy is, I don't blame you, but he was a a long-time uh, executive-level guy with DHL, absolutely loves drag racing, and has since retired from his full-time job, but does come to the majority of the races. And to your point, JR, the guy always has something positive to say always has the ability to kind of survey a situation and, and give you a, a, an outlook that that can help you get better and yeah like you said it, having a guy like that around is is almost like the in basketball right it's like the, the 12th man the guy that the guy off the end of the bench
1: yeah exactly he uh, he always has your back whether it's a uh, a good or bad situation he's just he's just there to uh, you know keep you pumped up and i feel like he He's doing more work now for DHL at the racetrack than that than he did when he was actually employed by them. So it's awesome. We go to these uh, DHL board meetings and things like that. Like, yeah, you got your number one cheerleader out there doing doing work for you still. So he's a he's a great guy to have on our side. And uh, there definitely needs to be more people like Rich Kid in the world.
0: So lastly, we're gonna talk about. It. I said I wasn't gonna make it the central point, but I'd be, I mean I can't not talk about it. I, I'm I'm wondering if your social media still is still kind of busy since Sunday.
1: <laughs> yeah, Brian. Uh, hey, sometimes you get asked what's the worst thing about drag racing, and by far, it's it's social media. There's times like this that I wish it didn't exist, and that we could go back to having a flip phone.
0: <laughs> and listen, uh, most Mondays I agree with you as well, uh, from my own perspective, because I get I get love letters from all over the world to tell me how bad I am at my job. So it's fine. But look, I and I know it's a headache for you get, to to hear all this. Sh- this I was gonna say. Sh- I'm gonna say sh- uh, it's a it's a headache to hear all this stuff. Um but at the same time, I know it sucks, but it's a great story. And and I and I realize that it's like, oh you got all these people yelling at you and poking at you, but who cares what they have to say? This this brought a lot of attention. It really did.
1: Yeah, I mean I really don't care what the the naysayers have to say online because at the end of the day they uh they're not driving the race car, yeah. they're not working on the race car, so they don't really understand the full situation. They just they believe what they want to believe, and you can't let that that stuff get in your head. So at the end of the day, I'm just going to go out there and uh, race the car, and let that thing do the talking.
0: That's a fact. And you know, it was great. We had Pradome in the uh, booth with us during a qualifying show, and and I, I had made a, a post on my own social media about it. And and when all this stuff kicked up on Sunday, I just kept thinking to myself, like Predom's the first guy that would back in the day would you know tell somebody who's going to knock their teeth out. You know, it's like this was this was I don't know where things changed where. In the sport, where it's like everybody needs to be in the kumbaya circle, I don't get it. I don't understand where that came from.
1: Yeah, it seems like that's uh, the world we live in, even outside of drag racing. That uh, everybody's got to be friends and and love one another, and like that's what I want to tell everybody. That Connie Coletta didn't hire me to make friends; he hired me to win races.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the bottom line. You got to go up there and do what you got to do, and and I think that's uh, I think it's something we'll all be watching. I'm not gonna lie. If there's a if there's an if there's a, a black and gray oil sponsored car in the lane next to you this weekend i think every freaking person that loves the sport is going to be leaning forward and uh like i said i realize it's a little bit more than you want on your on your phone beeping at you all the time but damn it's a it's going to be a fun story to follow
1: yeah well, i mean whatever we got to do to uh improve the sport whether it's uh good bad whatever i'm uh i'm all for it. just uh like I said, I, I I love what I do racing the car for Connie and Coletta, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. And uh, yeah, I want to go out there and win more than anything.
0: Amen to that, man. Jared Todd, thank you very much. Go uh, go catch your flight down to San Francisco. I will see you in Sonoma this weekend. And uh, worst comes to worst, you can just dunk your phone in a butt in a uh, a barrel of red wine and be forget about it.
1: Yeah, I might uh, <laughs> I might leave it in Napa Valley on Wednesday for
0: sure. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Brian. When we come back, it'll be Seattle winner and four time Top Fuel World Champion, Steve Torrance. All right, so our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider, as promised, four time Top Fuel Champion, Too Fast, Too Tasty winner, and Northwest Nationals winner, Steve Torrance. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Brian. Thanks for having me on. You bet. It was a good, nice little family photo on the flight back. You had the check for the Too Fast, you had the Wally. That's pretty much the way it's supposed to go, right? <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to go. We took it for granted here a few years ago, and so we've been looking forward to taking that photo. You know, the Too Fast, Too Tasty program, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on it because, to me, you know, we always seem to try a lot of stuff around here with NHRA. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. In my own selfish way, I really like this thing, and, and I think the fans have taken to it, and it certainly does change the way Saturday afternoons feel.
2: Yeah, it definitely does, and it has its merits and it has its demerits. Um, yeah. You know, we looking at it from from a racer's perspective. Uh, there's a possibility that you make three laps and don't get to run in but one lane.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's so a good that, point.
2: That changes that, and then also um, sometimes you're the quickest car of the session and you may not be in the shootout or in the challenge, and so you don't get the, the luxury of being the last car down the track. So there's a couple couple things that we've noticed being on the outside of it. Uh, but yeah, it's a great thing, and the, and the people over at Mission have done a really good job at, at doing it. Um, and so it, it, it was fun to to compete in,
0: even more fun to win, and sure. get my name on that trophy. And that's really some nuts and bolts stuff that I hadn't considered. And honestly, I hadn't heard anybody bring up publicly yet, which I think is great. I I never actually thought about that fact, that you may actually get stuck three times in the same lane, which is certainly not ideal trying to take a car into a Sunday race day. Right, right, right. And so um, we thought about that. We we had run Q1
2: uh, and Q2, and which would be E1 of the shootout in the left lane, and then we opted for the right lane in the final uh, partially because we thought it was better, but also because we needed to make a lap in that lane for Sunday.
0: And you know, to me, Sunday was like Sunday was a a down and dirty top fuel race. This was not like the slick your hair back and everybody walks out with a without a hair out of place. This was like get in the trenches and fight. And you know, I think if we look at your race day, there are rounds where you drove yourself to race wins. There are rounds where the team had stepped up and gave you a great race car to carry to a round win. But it was a really kind of whole team victory for you guys, which is, you know, when I look at the Capco team over the course of years, we have seen that magic happen so many times, and it all came back together in the right form for you on Sunday.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, those are the races that you remember. Those are the races that you enjoy winning. And, you know, against uh, against Josh and against Langdon, did my job on the tree. Um, Racing Langdon, had to do my job pedaling the car as well. And then against Brittany and Doug, those two rounds, you know, missed the tree. Uh, but fortunately, those two rounds they missed the tree as well. Um, I seen, uh, you know, occasionally I'll get on and look at some of the stuff and see what people are saying, and people were just ragging on Clay Milliken about having a red light, and I'll be the first to tell you, I mean, there's only a half seconds variant, a half a second variant <laughs> right. in. In a long tree to a short tree, but that half second feels like about three. <laughs> sure. And I had talked to Clay because I did the same thing earlier in the year, um, where you just hit the gas; it's just time to go. And in that setting, in that situation, sometimes your foot moves and your mind did not tell it to go. <laughs> right. And uh, and sometimes it's the other way. And so, like against Brittany and against Doug. I felt like that tree came on immediately instantaneously yeah and neither one of us were ready and and i was not i was 102 and Brittany was 99 and i was 104 and doug was 112 so it, it made me feel better that both of us were late so um it's just part of it and and so talking to langdon uh after the semifinals i went up there and i was like man you know i i felt like that thing was never gonna come on (laughs) i felt like the tree was stuck and he said the same thing and i i didn't notice it until later but he actually started to push the throttle you could hear the engine rev up on the camera and then off and then the lights on so i mean easily could have been in the same situation as clay right there and you know that's a world champion driver as well so it's some days you're the some days you're the hammer some days you're the nail, you know you never know, but uh it was a great weekend for us a good get healthy get our swagger back or for me, get my yeah. swagger back, get confidence and you enjoy winning the races where everything's not perfect
0: that you know, makes sense. all of
2: them all of them you you want to win all of them and and you want to do your best in all of them but when you go out there and and you're consistent on the tree and the car just goes a to b those are not as an eventful of a win as the ones where man i don't know where he's at i can't hear him i can't hear her get on the gas get off the gas get back on the gas spin the tire leg it to the end light comes on and you're like i don't know where they're at and then they (laughs) blow by you so those are the ones that that you they don't mean anymore you just remember them a little better
0: yeah, and it has to go kind of up and down the line, even with the guys working on the car, because it's like everybody can look each other in the eye that Sunday afternoon and know that they left it on the racetrack. Like anything we had to give, it's out there. And yeah, yeah. any professional sports teams like that, you, you know, you, you sometimes see teams that go out and, and they're front runners where it's like as long as they're beating everybody, it's fine, but the second they have a problem, they fall off. And it's like the real championship-level teams in any sport are the ones that can the ones that can get in there and, and, and gouge some eyeballs out and throw some elbows when uh, when the going gets tough, and, and that's what you guys had to do. And
2: that's, that's how we like it. I mean, we like it to be down and dirty and just fight our way back. And, you know, I, I think you tend to drive better, tune better, do everything better when you have a little bit of a cushion and you're kind of out in front. But uh, we've fought our way – we fought pretty hard all year. Yeah. This is the first race we won, we led the points the majority of the season. Yeah. We lost the points lead there in Bristol and we fought our way back to the top and and you know, it's going to be a tough year. I won't say that anybody, you know, not to take take credit away from anybody, but nobody's just really went out and dominated just No. None of us have really been as good as what we need to be.
0: Yeah, and, and it speaks, and it speaks to the level of the competition that that no one's been able to do that because there's always somebody that seems to be able to jump off uh, jump off the top rope and, <laughs> and catch him in the end. Um, and it
2: has, you know, but nobody really has just set themselves apart, correct, and been able to go out there and do what Brittany did last year and what we
0: did the four years before. Like you haven't just had that really dominant car showcase itself yet. It's kind of funny. So we, uh, inside baseball TV stuff here, we actually banned a word uh, from our reporters to be used on the show, which is the word is confidence, because we would go back and watch these shows, and every freaking question was about was about somebody's confidence. And, you know, I, I we were having a conversation, and, and I said, and I actually brought your name up, and I said to the unnamed person that I was speaking to, I said, do you think, like, when the Capco guys are actually out welding pipes together, like they're out welding these giant lengths of pipe together in the field that a guy completes welding a pipe and somebody walks up to him and says, so you completed that weld. How, how is your confidence for the next weld? Right? <laughs> right? You, I, I don't think yeah. that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> and so, to me, you know, we, I think we almost overblow it because in, in a way – and, and you can agree or disagree, I'm asking you the question, but, like, you expect to win the round. It's like, just like that guy expects to weld the pipe flawlessly and have it go on the ground and not leak, you get in the car with the expectation of winning the round, right?
2: Yeah, 100%. And people ask me all the time, you know, the, the number one question you get from a fan is, you going to win this weekend? Yeah. You're like, well, <laughs> hell yeah, I'm planning on winning. I didn't come here just to participate. <laughs> right. You know, and and I mean, that's not a smart aleck answer. That's no. just that's your my my mindset. I I didn't come here to participate. I didn't come here to be second or third or whatever. We came here to win and go home. Yeah. And uh, if you don't have that mindset, you're obviously doing the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, it's a fact. Uh, Al Hoffman had a couple of great ones. Uh, Supposedly a fan walked up to him one day and said, hey, Al, you going to kick some ass? And he looked at the fan and said, yeah, you want me to start with yours?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, I've always heard you will do anything the way that you do everything, and I don't half-ass anything. So that's just the way my mindset.
0: And it makes sense. And, you know, one of the other things I wanted to ask you is, you know, the the challenge of doing this and, and the appeal of doing this certainly has not has not the shine has not come off of this for you and you know you have a successful business that you work at every single day with your family and and that business has brought you a lot of great things in your life is the appeal of this to a degree something is this because is it appealing to you because this is something you can't buy you know you cannot buy a championship you can buy parts but you cannot buy the championship
2: absolutely i'm i'm a competitor by nature i've competed in in something my whole life whether it was martial arts whether it was motocross drag racing um i'm just a competitor that's i I like to compete i like the the the, the thrill of competition um and so that's why this is still appealing to me i mean yes we've accomplished more than most will ever in their life and yep. more than than i ever would have imagined that we would have been able to do as well um tell people all the time um you know you, you dream of driving a top fuel car and then you get that chance and you dream of winning a round and then winning a race and then winning a championship and and we've been so fortunate and blessed to to have the success that we have um and you know we're, we're thankful that from the blessings of god that we've had the ability to put the team together that we have and the hard work and just you know, I was talking to Justin Crossman, one of the main guys on the team there, and uh, he's like, "We're all just a bunch of misfits. We just <laughs> all got together." <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it's, I said the other day, I think to Susan Wade or somebody, I was like, "I would put this team up against any team in the history of drag racing. They, 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 they stick together. They band together. All of us. And and when the when the fight's on, like we're there." You know, whether it's on the racetrack, whether it's supporting somebody that's got something going on in their personal life or yeah. whatever, it, it it's – we're together. Um, and so, you know, I, this weekend was tough for me. My, my grandmother passed away earlier in the year, but it was the first race that we'd won since she'd been gone. So that was – you know, I got a little emotional down at yeah. the end of the racetrack. But I, for for 53 of my 54 top fuel wins and every – alcohol win and championship and everything else i've ever done my grandma's my biggest supporter so it was it it was tough for 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 that way and then also zach cedrift lost his dad the week before wow uh, to a battle with cancer so it was it was a special weekend to us uh and you know overall and and then just to get the monkey off of our back was was huge
0: it is. And, you know, to me, it's, um, you know, you sit back and you, and you look at, you know, the career arcs of a bunch of different people. You look at how things work for for different teams over the course of time. And, you know, you're one win away from, from tying Joe Amato. And... You know, that is, you know, I remember how humbled you were when when you tied Garlets, I remember this because I think we handed you the Wally and someone said, hey, you just tied Don Garlitz for wins. And you're like, what? I mean, <laughs> I think, I think that, and that was about 20 wins ago. But I remember that moment because it kind of stopped you in your tracks. And, you know, you're one win away from from tying Joe, Joe cool now. And to me, growing up, that guy was the, the single coolest man ever. In in history, he was the East Coast guy like I am. Had a little swagger, but he also had a team that stuck together for a lot of years. And to your point about your your team's legacy in this sport, you can't deny it. You can't deny it because the core is still there.
2: Absolutely, and I mean, I thought I I I mean, not don't take me wrong here, but I thought we'd already passed Joe. I have fifty four.
0: Oh, I maybe he, he had 52. fifty-two. That said, yeah, he had fifty-two. I thought he had fifty-five. So, yeah, my apologies. You blew him into the week a while ago. <laughs> but
2: um, Joe Amato, like that's Joe Cool, that's yeah. Joe Knows, that's Snoopy. You know, and and I mean, he was the guy of 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 my era. Yeah. of of being a kid. It was Joe Amato and Kenny Bernstein and the Mac Attack, Corey Mack. I mean. I, I actually found some hats in my closet and I had it in a box the other day that were like the the neon yellow, <laughs>
0: nice full on nineties, yeah. <laughs>
2: and uh, yeah, four nineties. And Joe Amato's signature was always so legible; you could read it, and and um, it was pretty cool to 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 see that. And and he's like just a he's he was one of my heroes, you know. Yeah.
0: And a lot of parallels there, too. That was a family business, a family business that he was obviously very involved in for years and years. And it's just uh, it's really neat. One last thing I want to hit you up on. Um, it's a moment that I don't want really to say it was overshadowed with everything that happened. But picking up Toyota's 200th win in this sport, to me, is a, is a pretty big deal. I look at what Toyota does with drag racing. They approach it way different than every other manufacturer. They do so much stuff with you guys. They activate with you guys. And so it is a, it's an honor to get that 200th for them
2: it is and it was something that i'm sure that all of the other drivers were wanting to do as well um i've not I, this is my second year as a part as being a part of team toyota so you know those that first and that 50 and that 100 and all that that those are milestones that i wasn't even around for but we really i'm not going to say we i really wanted to <laughs> put my name in that spot uh and and you know we haven't had the most success uh over the last two years but those guys have stood tall behind us and supported us just like mac tools and redline oil and, and everybody else but we i wanted that 200 win hat i wanted uh i wanted to get that win for them
0: it's a great uh it's a great thing it's a big number for them it's certainly another uh, feather in your cap and Listen, congratulations to you and the team. Um, it is, it, you know, you guys race, you guys race so hard, and it's neat to see the hard work paying off. And selfishly, it's neat to see that we have a, a top fuel field that is probably going to come down to the final day of the of the last race of the year in Pomona to actually settle this thing.
2: Well, I mean, that's what the fans like to like to see, and that's what they like to go for. I would like to have it wrapped up by about the third race in, um, but. It, you know, it's gonna it's a it's a tough season. It's gonna be a tough, hard fought battle, and we're just gonna have to go toe to toe with these guys and try to try to show them why we're four time
0: Sounds good, Steve Torrance. Thank you very much. Four time world champ. We'll be headed to Sonoma this weekend for the Denzo Sonoma Nationals. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you, brother. It is always a treat to talk to Steve, especially in a moment that's away from the racetrack when you can have a little bit of a longer conversation with him when the whole world's not uh, tugging him in a hundred different directions. You know, selfishly, when I look at my own, you know, career and timeline in this sport. It, it um, you know, his, his and I's kind of lines up in a, in a certain way. His top fuel career got going about the same time I came in with NHRA um, 10 years ago or so now. And then, um, you know, his rise to being a, a four-time champion uh, kind of lined up with me becoming the broadcast partner of Tony Pedragon in the booth. And you know 3 of uh 3 of those 4 championships I was uh, in the booth for and who knows how many more to come but it's just a pretty neat thing to kind of look at it in real time because I feel like In 15 or 20 years from now, you know, maybe the two of us are looking back at it in in fond fashion uh, for these days and and what that team's accomplished. So, you know, being able to talk to JR today, being able to talk to Steve, these are two intense competitors and two guys who show up and they show up with the intention, the wherewithal, and the expectation to win races. And that is what you have to do in the cutthroat world of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series, especially in this modern day. Talent levels off the charts and it's going to get. Uh, kind of even tougher as the season goes on, as it always does. We will be in Sonoma at Denzo Sonoma Nationals this week and You can get your tickets on NHRA.com to come to one of the most beautiful racetracks in the country and one of the fastest racetracks in the country. Two qualifying sessions Friday, two qualifying sessions Saturday, eliminations on Sunday. The Pro Stock All-Star, Pro Stock Motorcycle All-Star Callout will be happening this weekend as well. The fourth and final of our callout races this season. The first time the Pro Stock Motorcycle competitors have ever had one of these. And, of course, the big question becomes... Will Gage Herrera not only win the callout, will Gage Herrera sweep the Western Swing? He is the last person eligible to do it. He won the first two races. We saw Clay Milliken go down. We saw Matt Hagan go down in Seattle. So it is Gage standing by his lonesome on the precipice of a swing sweep, which may begin with a callout call win if he can pull that off as well. Performance-wise, expect this weekend to be very, very fast. Our second session on Fridays begins at about 8 p.m., What that means is the density altitude, if we look at the projections right now, should be below 1,000 feet. And that should allow our teams on this great surface to really, really pull out all the stops. The four qualifying sessions, as you've heard Tony Pedragon and I talk about multiple times on the show, become a game changer. Having a setup run in the afternoon for the night run is what makes that night run so electrifying. When you only have the one run on Friday, there tends to be a bit more caution in making the approach. Our Saturday runs tend to be earlier in the day. So the Friday night run late with a setup run in the afternoon at Sonoma Raceway could result in some of the, if not the singular, quickest elapsed times of the season. Can't wait to get there. We picked up a couple of cars in Funny Car, so just about on a bump spot there. We got a bump spot in Pro Stock Motorcycle, and we got some uh, some new dragsters or some, some turnover, I should say. On the dragster side, you'll see some different names in Sonoma than you did in Seattle, Ron August Jr. included. That's the way it looks coming in to the Sonoma Nationals. bit of a shorter show today, but frankly, it's a bit of a shorter window. I'm home for about 30 hours. I'm going to end this show, go pack my bags, and get ready to head to the airport tomorrow morning for the Sonoma Nationals. You can follow us all weekend long. Broadcast schedules on NHRA.com. Qualifying coverage begins on Saturday, as does our Pro Stock Motorcycle All-Star Callout coverage. Continues on Sunday morning, and we will be on your local Fox affiliate for the race broadcast on Sunday afternoon. Thanks for listening. I will be back next week with a full poll. We'll get the video action going. We'll wrap up the Western Swing and talk about all the big stories of this awesome three-race turn known as the NHRA Western Swing 2023. Thanks.